guys. I got, um, as usual, a lot to say in this message with a short amount of time, but we're going to jump right in, okay? So we are actually on week five of a series called All, A-L-L. Everybody say All. We just finished kind of section one uh, last week where we focused in on the greatest commandment, Mark 1230. It'll be up on the screen, but some of us or most of us hopefully are familiar with this. When, when asked, what is the greatest commandment, Jesus told us and summarized, literally, here's everything in the word of God summarized in regards to what I, God wants you to do most, wants you to live out most. And he said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Okay, in the last four weeks, we unpacked each of those kind of four elements. Did anybody make it to all four of those, heart, soul, mind, and strength? Anybody make all four? A few of you did? Yeah, the staff did? Okay, great. Um, um, so here's the deal. This is, it's um, too important to move on too quickly from the greatest commandment because this is absolutely essential if you want to be a follower of Jesus, which my assumption is most of you guys want to be. Um, but also this is a lifelong embracing of the greatest commandment. I said over and over again over the last four weeks, like I would want this to be every single one of your just number one goal in life, number one ambition, more than anything else that you want is that you are actually asking God, Lord, help me live out the greatest commandment. If this is the biggest and greatest and first most important thing that you want, Lord, help me live this out before anything else, any other dream is fulfilled. Lord, I want, I want this to become my dream, that I'm loving you to the fullest capacity I could possibly love you here on this earth. There will be no regrets when you stand before the living God and, he, and you're, he's, you're given an account of your life. There'll be no regret if your response is, I gave myself to this thing. I gave myself to this greatest commandment. So I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a thorough recap. And I'm going to have four different slides that are going to pop up on the screen. And I'm going to give you heart, soul, mind, strength. And uh, just a quick summary. Um, at the end of these four slides, there's going to be a QR code that puts all four of those slides together in one resource. So you can have your notes ready. You can have your phone ready. At the end, like I said, there'll be a QR code. I really want you guys to grasp this, and I, wanna, um, I want this to stay with us because we're never, never going away. This is literally the number one prayer that I pray over this church body. More than anything else, I pray that we would be people to live out the greatest commandment in the depth of it, not just the casual, yeah, I love God, but like the depth of loving him with all. Everybody say all. Remember, it's all. It's, it's everything, you know, of all of our hearts. So here you go. Each of these slides, um, when I get to the kind of different uh, aspect, it will have a quick explanation of what it means. It will be a prayer to pray with some scriptures, and then there will be an action step. And particularly, I'm going to give you guys an action step of how you can live this out this week, okay? So let's go to the first one, heart. Here's a quick explanation of loving God with our heart. What we're talking about there is our desires, our affections, our passions. And then there's a prayer on there, Lord, let my heart burn with love, desire, and passion for you. Forever be my first love. You can reference those uh, scriptures. Then here's an action point, a challenge this week. Spend time with Jesus every day this week for 30 minutes. And I give you four different elements that can come up with time with Jesus. So worship, word, prayer, listening to God. There's your challenge for this week. Because when we get time in God's presence, that's when our heart just begins to burn even more. All right, I'm going to move on uh, to soul. We're talking about what that is, our will, our ambitions, our life trajectory, or what we envision as we look ahead to our life. It's our very being, the essence of our existence. Here's a prayer to pray. Oh, God, help me surrender my will or my soul to you over and over and over again. You are the very reason I'm alive. I wouldn't exist without you. I am yours. 
And here's an action step. Spend extended time in worship more than once this week. So guess what? You already did it once this week. Great job, guys. Give your neighbor a high five. Go ahead. Right now. You did it. You spent extended time in God's presence worshiping him. My encouragement is do that at least one more time this week where you have, you know, more than two songs that are playing in your AirPods or something and you're worshiping because there's something about like all of, like so many of the Psalms talk about our soul just blessing and worshiping the Lord. And there's a way that we engage with God and surrender our, our soul or our will, our life to him in that place of worship. Okay, mind, I talked about mind last week. I was so encouraged. How many of you guys were here last week? Raise your hand really high, really high. Okay, most of you guys were. And I was so encouraged by y'all's hunger and your response, your attentiveness to what we were talking about. And all of us are interested in what does it look like for, um, to love God with my mind. And all of us are definitely interested in getting breakthrough and freedom in our thoughts and our mind. Yes? Still want that? Okay. Remember that little light show we had in the middle of the service, too? That was awesome. That was honestly fun. Let's, let's do it again. Anyways, um, it wasn't planned. But anyway, so here's what we're talking about with loving God with our mind, our thoughts, our imaginations, our mindsets, our meditations. Here's a simple prayer just of submission. Lord, I submit my mind to you. Help me set my mind on you, taking captive the negative thoughts, and then meditating on you and your truth. And there's a bunch of scriptures I went over last week. And here's an action step. And again, if you were here last week, this will hopefully be a reminder. But talk to God sometime this week and write down what you want your relationship with him to look like five to ten years from now. This was about imagining, like using our imagination to imagine the future with God. Not just imagining circumstantial blessings or exactly where you're going to live, what job you're going to have, who you're going to be married to. It's not wrong to think about those things, but what's even better is to imagine a vibrant relationship with the Lord. Five to ten years from now. And then the second part is a different uh, action step, but this is related to our mind. I talked a lot about input. really makes a difference on what we're thinking about. And so here's the challenge or the action step for this week. Turn off your phone or other media devices just one day this week. <gasps> Can you survive? The answer is yes. For thousands of years, humanity survived without a cell phone, okay? Believe it or not, I actually lived in the age where there were no cell phones. Can you believe that? I know. I'm 35. Anyways, last one, strength. Loving God with our strength. We're talking about our actions, our words, our time, our money, our energy. Okay, here's, um, and this, this, is, this was a couple weeks ago, so this will make sense if you were here when I talked about this, but this prayer, Lord, help me be inten- intentionally honor you by giving, speaking, fasting, praying, and serving. Help me do these consistently, and here's the key, unto you, God, and not unto other people. Matthew 6, talked about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is clear. When you're doing this stuff, it's unto God. It's out of worship to him. You're not trying to be seen by others by doing a fast or seen by others by what you give. We're doing it unto God because it strengthens us loving him with our strength. Then here's the action for this week. Here's the challenge. Refuse to speak negatively about someone this week. (laughs) Let me pause. So start with this week and hopefully do that forever, okay? So this week... (laughs) refuse to speak negatively about someone. God is listening. There is a scary scripture in the Gospels. I don't know exactly where it is, but Jesus said you will be held accountable for every idle word that comes out of your mouth. Woo! I believe the words of Jesus. I don't know about you, and so it puts the fear of God in me to make sure that I'm careful with how I speak, especially about other people. Okay, this is a separate one. I'm giving you multiple different action steps on this one. Sign up for recurring online giving. That's a simple way to do that, and loving God with the strength or or the resources of our money. Uh, Join the fast next week is a great way to work that muscle of loving God with your physical strength. 
and then volunteer to serve on Sundays. Again, obviously serving. So here's the QR code. Pull out your phone if you really want this. I, I care about you guys having resources so you can look back over this, even if it just stays on a tab on your phone. Uh, it would be helpful because I, mean, I would love for you guys to pray these crafted prayers, look at these scriptures, uh, because I really want us to grow in loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You guys good? Committed to this? Want to live it out? Yes? Great. Hey, have no benefit of my own, but just for your own benefit and your own relationship with the Lord, just want to um, call us as the people of God to take the greatest commandment seriously. All right? It matters a lot to God. Okay, like I said, we're going to shift gears now and kind of do section two of this series. And we are going to now talk about not the, the first commandment, but we're going to talk about the second commandment. Here's what's so interesting about, about this dialogue from Mark 12, which has been the main verse I've been showing you with the greatest commandment. Jesus was approached and asked, what is the, if I say the, greatest commandment. So the, he was asked in a singular way, what is the greatest commandment? And what's so interesting is he gave not one, but he gave two. Okay, and here's, so here's the second part of it, Mark 12, 31, you shall Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so here's my point about what I just said. The first and the second commandment are inseparable. God never intended for there to, for there to be one without the other. Now, what I'm not saying is that the first and greatest commandment are interchangeable. The first needs to be first, and the second needs to be second, but they're always meant to go together. Here's why that matters is because if we put the second first and we try to love other people as a priority over loving God, what we'll end up doing is, one, loving in our own strength. You don't have very much of that. Neither do I. And your love can get kind of twisted a little bit because we want to love in God's way and in God's term and how God defines love. And when you put loving others above loving God, you can kind of compromise a little bit and it becomes a form of humanism where you're just trying to be good and do good and be nice, but you're never willing to speak the loving truth of God when someone is in sin or in compromise. And so we want to put the first things first. And as we are, guys, we, it is impossible. If you are genuinely growing in the greatest commandment, it is impossible to not love someone else. Because when you are loving God, and spending time with him, getting his heart inside of you, you're going to start loving the things that he loves. Yeah. Guess what his number one thing that he loves is? Himself, but also other people. <laughs> I'll talk about that in a second. Other people. He loves people so much. For God so loved the world, the people in the world. He gave his son. Okay. Now, uh, one phrase I like that's connected to this uh, is from a guy named Pete Scazzaro. He's a pastor and leader. I've been reading some of his stuff lately. He's got a ministry called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And he says this, It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Okay, it's connected to this first commandment and greatest commandment. I mean, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And those emotional immaturities come out in our relationships with other people. Okay, so this goes together. It is a package deal. So I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. This is where we get the word all, and this is where it goes, goes a little bit more in depth into loving each other. Now, what I'm really going to do is teach this more in depth next week, 
But um, I want to look at a couple of these scriptures because it helps. I think it helps give us an overview. So Ephesians 4, pretty much verse 1 through 16. I'm going to break it up uh, verse by verse. But uh, let me just give you a, a glimpse here. So Ephesians 4, verse 1 says, it'll be on the screen. I should probably open my Bible too. I told you guys too, but I didn't. There we go. Says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let me pause there. A manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called. Anybody want to walk in a manner worthy of that which you've been called? Yes. Okay. But how many actually know what that means? Not very many of us. We also get kind of tripped up with the word worthy, right? We're like, well, this is not about like me proving I'm worthy to God. So here's another way to say that. He's urging the church to walk in a suitable or fitting way that looks like we've been called out of darkness and into light. Looks like we've been saved. Looks like we follow Jesus. Let's walk in a manner that actually looks like and is suitable to a follower of Jesus. It's like evidence. Is this making sense? Verse 2, he begins to unpack what that looks like. He says, with all, if I say all, all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, in love. So he begins to describe this, what would it look like to be living worthy of our calling? And he starts using these words of humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. And here's a comment that I want to make that I don't want us to miss. Each of those words that he uses to describe this suitable living that's connected to our calling all have to do with close-knit relationships with other people. So he's saying, hey, like live worthy of the calling. And then he describes it. It's like all these things that you have to be in close relationship with other people to actually live out. So here's my point. It'll be on the screen. We cannot, quote, unquote, walk worthy of our calling without being in deep and committed relationships within the local body. And I am intentional with the word local body because you look at this passage in Ephesians 4 and even think about the letter itself. Paul is writing to a specific church. He's writing to a group of followers of Jesus and instructing them how to live with one another. Now, please don't miss this. This is like almost one of the main points of this message. He is talking about how does a local church interact with one another. So this morning's message, I am talking about how we, from the balcony to those on staff to everybody in between, even if you're a first-time guest, those you've been coming here for years or coming here for just a couple months, what we're talking about is how do we live and breathe and act together? That's what we're talking about. That's the best context for these passages that I'm reading here. And I'm going to say that phrase again. We cannot walk worthy of the calling without being in deep and committed relationships within this body. Let's keep going. I'm going to break this down a little bit more. Verse 3 through 6 starts to clearly talk about the body of Christ, like I was just sharing. And then verse 7 turns a little bit of a corner. Look at verse 7. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So it turns this corner to start talking about our, each of our individual contribution that we can make to this body that makes up the whole. Skip down to verse 11. It talks about different uh, leadership graces or leadership gifts in the body of Christ. Some of you guys are familiar with the phrase fivefold ministry. That's where that idea comes from. Verse 11 says he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And then verse 12 shares the purpose or the goal of those leaders. And it's this, to equip the saints. Everybody say saints. 
okay? More than just a football team, okay? This is, these, are, these are believers, okay? Okay, he's equipping believers. The purpose of these leadership graces in the body of Christ is to equip believers to do the ministry and to build up or strengthen the body of Christ. Okay, in verse 13 through 15, it shares um, kind of the results or the fruit of doing church this way, of being committed to one another, equipping the saints. It lists out things like you can look at it yourself if you want. It lists out unity of the faith, gives us better revelation or just kind of insight in who Jesus is. And it leads to maturity and fullness. And think about this. As you're, as you're thinking about your walk with God, thinking about this church community, think about these words. Is this, is this kind of what you want? You want to see Jesus better. You want to know him more clearly. Do you want to be more mature? You can nod your head, actually, if, as I'm listening to this. You want to be more mature. You want to walk in the fullness of God. Okay, you guys want to be protected from deceit and deception. Yes? Okay, you want to be grounded in truth. You want to grow up. You want to be connected to Jesus as the head. Yes? Okay, all of those things are the fruit of the church living and acting like the church with deep, loyal, committed relationships. And then he wraps it up in verse 16 by saying this, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, everybody say every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part, say each part, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want to emphasize every joint and every part. And how do I want to do that? Why don't you guys just say this? I am every joint. Say it. Let me say it a better way. I am part of every joint. Okay. We, like you, as an individual, are a joint or are part of this body. And the Bible says that when we um, are operating and working properly, what happens is this body grows in love. Everybody say love. All right, so I know that's a, uh, an overview. I'm going to dive into some of this next week, but here's, let me give a warning before I keep going. Um, I am talking this morning and the next couple of weeks about how we love and interact with each other, okay? So look across this room. Go ahead. Everybody, just look around. Just look around. Look around. See, see a couple of new faces. See some people. This is the context that the Bible is talking about right here in the passages we're about to look at from the words of Jesus the best context of applying it is looking around a group of local believers and applying these things that we're talking about, okay? And here's the warning. What I'm about to say and the applications I'm going to bring up, they're going to be pretty exposing, okay? There's a variety of people in here in this room. Okay, some of you are like, you've been here since the very beginning. Okay, Holiday Inn. Who was at the Holiday Inn with us, okay? Great. Who was in my house? Summer 2019. Summer 2019 should have been only four people. That was me, Maggie, Tima, and Beth. All right, but if yours were, were on the way, July. You were there? Oh, you were there? All right, sorry. All right. Sorry. All right. Because um, when we think about some of these things, and especially talking about loving each other, I'm getting ahead of myself in my nose, but let me just tell you where I'm going. What we tend to do is think about me. Okay, am I a loving person? Hmm. All right. I'm not a jerk constantly. Okay, good. I don't yell at people and cuss all the time. Okay, great. I'm not like spitefully trying to mess people's life up. Okay, so I'm a loving person. All right, this message, whew, I'm good. All right, but that's not how I want you to think about it this morning. I want you to think about your relationships within this room. That's what I want you to do as I keep going and unpacking this. And the key word here is 
love. And what I want to do is I want to talk about when the Bible, or especially the words of Jesus, when he starts talking about love for one another, what did he envision? What did he want? That's the title of this message. What Jesus wanted. What he wanted when he was envisioning his people, his followers, interacting with one another. What did he want? What did he envision uh, in those relationships? All right? Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered that. Has anybody ever wondered that? What did he want? What did he envision? Now, we're going to um, look at that, and I'll tell you how uh, we can figure that out, what, what he actually wanted. But here's a couple things that I think will make sense about what he didn't want, and some of it might resonate with what maybe has become cu- culturally normal within the church. So here's a couple slides. Maybe this is what he did not envision. Loose and disconnected relationships, like very individualistic and non-committed people, those that put self at the center, or those that are indifferent about the depth, quality, or the duration of relationships. Think about this. I know it's, it could be heavy, but I, I'm, I, I want you to think about, what did Jesus really envision? Did he envision this? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, here's a couple other ideas of what he did maybe envision, especially in the way he talks about how to love one another in a close-knit community. He envisioned close and loyal relationships. People committed to one another that are constantly together. They're just being together often. Those that put others first. This is a big one, especially based on the reality of the relational kind of atmosphere of our nation, of people that are determined to let nothing, everybody say nothing, nothing divide or sever long-lasting deep relationships. I'm pretty confident these are the, some of the things that Jesus envisioned when he looked, when he was dreaming about his church, when he was talking to his disciples and saying, hey, Peter, James, John, all you guys, this is how I want you to interact with one another, these types of descriptions versus the first list. Okay, now this topic is so vast, and I'm not going to be able to talk about it enough, even with three sermons, okay, but here's a QR code that has a couple great resources by Francis Chan. A lot of you guys know that name, but he wrote a book somewhat recent. I think it's his most recent book called Until Unity, and it's just he talks about this John 13 through 17, mainly John 17 reality of what could it look like for the church to be unified. We'll break in or go into some of those passages in just a second. There also on this QR code, there's a sermon that he gave at Antioch in Waco where he's preaching on John 17. And I, I think it's pretty important for us. We're part of the Antioch movement. And there's things that he says in this um, sermon that, I, that will really apply to us if you consider yourself a part of Antioch. What he literally does at the end is he pretty much like uh, commits or like covenants, so to speak, in a light way, not like there, there was no like blood sacrifice. Okay, so, so, you know, it's like he covenanted to the Antioch movement and said, I am for you, I am with you, I am behind you, I will defend you forever. He said, I stand with this people, and I am not going to back off from that. So I, I just like, praise God, we got Francis Chan on our team, that sounds great, okay? Um, so listen to that because he's really expressing um, uh, you know, just an element of what I'm trying to express this morning, and it affects, you know, how we live, and we are so behind this. But here's the deal, guys. There is a big struggle that hinders us from living in the way that I just described with those words, and here it is. We have in our culture a very individualistic mindset, very 
individualistic, okay? The kind of, no one says it this way, but kind of the, the cultural norm as it comes to how we live life is we are under this individualism type of mindset and teaching, okay? So we grew up with a lot of norms, okay? It's part of being in a culture. Some of those cultural things are good and some are not. And Western culture has become more and more individualistic as we continue. And so how, how does that play itself out? It plays itself out in the way we think, how we view life, the plans that we make in the future, who or what we consider when making those plans. It has to do with our daily decisions, our calendar for the year. And for the most part, all those things I just listed, we put self at the center. Because, you know, really the whole goal of life is to follow my dreams or my calling in life. Now listen, here there is some good to kind of an individualistic mindset, some good, such as taking your own personal responsibility for your sin. You know that's good? <laughs> that we need to repent for our individual sin, not just kind of blame everybody else. Okay, okay it's, it's really good because it takes your personal connection with Jesus, you getting alone time with God, really seriously. That's good, right? Okay. Okay, even, um, you know, responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit or even really understanding how God uniquely made you and what specific gifts he gave you, how to use them. That, that's good, and it is kind of under the banner of, okay, we're thinking about ourselves. Okay, but there is definitely some bad, for sure, in the way, especially in the way that it affects what Jesus envisioned for the church and for how do we are supposed to interact with each other. Let me give you a couple examples about what's normal in our culture. Okay, they'll be on the screen. What's normal in our culture is that I comes before we, and me is priority over us. Now, I'm going to have to let these things settle because <laughs> what I'm doing this morning is risky. I'm going against an entire mindset that we all, including myself, grew up with, okay? But let's go there because if it's not of God's kingdom culture, then I don't want it. I want his way of thinking and viewing things. Okay, let me give you a very simple and step on your toes type of example. Ready? Of this. Keep that up there. We announce we're going to do a church-wide fast. Most of you will think, am I supposed to do that? Yes? Or you actually don't even think that. You just know you're not going to do that. <laughs> but could it be, maybe, we do things and we are we? All right, I'm just going to leave you there. <laughs> All right, another thing is true in our individualistic culture. Now, let me, give you a, let me give you a little comment there. It's just, you know, like what it doesn't mean is you never consider serious factors. So, like, if you're pregnant or nursing, yeah, you should fast differently than me. I'm not pregnant or nursing. Okay. <laughs> just to be clear. All right, moving on. In our individualistic culture, I, well, here's what's normal. Here's what's become normal, okay? It's creeping into the church a little bit. I come to church so that I grow in my relationship with God. Okay, some of us are confused because I, we thought that was good. <laughs> and I, I'm not saying it's all wrong. It's just maybe helpful of how we tend to approach these settings. Or, hopefully this will make sense, this other one, it's normal to come to church and wish others in this room the best of luck living out their faith until next Sunday. 
actually what's more normal now is until two, actually three Sundays from now, okay, because it's too religious to come to church every week. All right, so uh, it, what's normal is, hey, all right, best of luck to you. Hope you do good living out this. But everything we talk about, and I'm, I'm like envisioning myself sitting on the front row as well. When we read this, we're supposed to like help each other throughout the week live it out, you know? So that's what I mean by the second part. It's like, there's, ah, well, actually it's a little bit different. We're supposed to live this out together. One more nice slide. <laughs> In our individualistic culture, it's safer, quote unquote, not to join, not to commit, not to attach ourselves to any group. It's admirable to remain autonomous so that we preserve, quote unquote, freedom. Okay, this is, I'm just exposing what's normal probably in the way that we think, and there's like all sorts of hesitations to commit. Now, let me just pause. If you're first time at Antioch, welcome, <laughs> but, you know, it's just, I'm so glad you're here, and I don't expect, you know, like this type of living or thinking, but I, hopefully this, I want it to be helpful because wherever any of you land church body-wise, go all in with those people. I don't care if it's here or if it's down the street or wherever. Do not just come and go, come and go, and, and not have deep, loyal, close relationships with people. Okay, it's like, well, I got deep, close, loyal relationships with, you know, this person or that person. Okay, that's, that's evidence of an individualistic mindset. Oh, I am doing all these things. No, no, remember, are we doing these things is the way to process and think about this, at least biblically. Okay? When it comes to a thriving, healthy, or biblical church community, there, there must be a, a, a we experience or we element. If we always think of church as they, then we're missing a big piece of God's heart. Or if we just think about church as the place I go to or attend on Sunday, then we're missing a huge element of what Jesus really wanted, which is he wanted a, just a close-knit, loyal group of people. That's the best way that we can live out. Here's, here's a slide. I showed you guys this a couple times before, about five circles of a healthy church. And these are just elements that just make it easy for us to see, okay, great. If I'm doing this stuff here in this local body, and if it's not with us, then again, you're so blessed. It's like, but do, who are you doing this with? Is, is there a group of people that you are committed? Hey, me and Jesus, we're going to take it seriously, but I know all my friends are taking this seriously too. I got a gathering of two or three. We call that discipleship group, groups here. And then there's in the house, house to house, life groups. That's what we call that here. Okay, the church gathered. Here you are on Sunday morning. That's great. Or we have, we have worship nights or when we break the fast together on a couple Wednesdays, you know, or doing mission. Who are you doing all five of these things with? is a good question to consider. And if, it's, if you're only doing one of these things here with us, then I'd say you're missing a huge part of what Jesus wanted. And if you're just doing, a, you know, it's just like, let's all embrace each of these. We're not looking for perfection, but we're looking for a setting of the heart of like, yes, I am committed to this group of people. Because when we do this together, together, that's when the depth of relationships goes to the next level, the accountability goes to the next level, the joy of relationship goes to the next level. You get to know each other. It's just so sweet, and I believe it's the way that Jesus intended. Now, here's how we're going to close it up, is we're going to look at John 13 through 17, and I'm going to give you an exegetical teaching on every verse from chapter 13 to 17. Just kidding. That's a lot of verses. <laughs> You're ready up there. Thanks, Mara. All right. Uh, so how I gave you kind of the spiel of what he wanted, and I kind of just painted the big picture, but let's, let's figure out for sure how do we know what he actually wanted and here's how we know what Jesus wanted. Ready? 
It's by what he modeled. Everybody say modeled. modeled. By what he taught. Say taught. taught. And by what he prayed. Say prayed. Okay, so we know what Jesus want by these three things. What he modeled, how did he live? What is the example that he set for us? What did he actually teach us in Scripture? And then um, what he prayed. So the first one, let me just, it's super simple, but this one's pretty clear. What Jesus modeled in regards to how he related with his people is he had very close-knit relationships with his disciples. He spent a lot of time with them. He went deep with them. He cared so much for them. He challenged and rebuked them in love. He sacrificially served. Chapter 13 of, of John is right after he was washing the disciples' feet. It says this in verse 14 and 15. He says this, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. So the main thing I want you to see is not, don't emphasize the action of washing feet. Let me comment on that in a second. But mainly that Jesus is saying, hey, I've set an example for you. Here's how I lived. And then he's telling his disciples, follow my example. Pretty simple. Now, again, it's not about washing feet, okay? <laughs> um, because in, those, in that culture in that day, it meant something different than it does now. Okay, because we all, most of us have socks and closed-toed shoes on, okay? So that's not what's the culture back then, okay? What this really is about of a heart of going low, of doing much more than what's respect, expected relationally, and especially if it's outside of the norm for the, the, for lack of better words, kind of level of person that we're talking about. Jesus was the leader, he was the teacher, he's the rabbi, and so this was out of his norm to go this low, so what this is more about is going low and doing more than expected with close-knit relationships. It's like better example than like going over to wash somebody's feet. Because most of the time it's just like if we were to do that today, it's just awkward. I don't know. Some of you have been a part of those foot washing services and that's great. We probably won't do one here. But anyways, uh, not the guy I'm actually, yeah, I, I don't like doing that. Anyways, so um, what is better is like you're going over to someone's house you know, what's normal is for them to just host you and serve you, and of course they should, but it's like you're going out of your way to do their dishes after dinner's over. You're going out of your way to, like, you know, not just use their bathroom, but go ahead and clean it. Like, you know, like that would be a better example of that is out of the norm when someone's supposed to invite you over and host you. Like, that's a better example of getting low and doing what's so much more um, expected relationally. All that being said, the way that Jesus modeled required close-knit relationships. All right, let's look at what he taught, okay? So how do we know what he wanted? By what he taught. Staying in verse, or chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, it says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, look at this, this is crazy, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Wow, this love that he's talking about here should be so obviously different and lavish than what non-believers experience that it would cause non-believers to look at the way that we are loving each other and just be like, okay, you must, you must follow Jesus. <laughs> you must have a different leader than I do. And I think I'm grieved because maybe that's not, not maybe. It's most likely not the conclusion of non-believers when they look at the church right now. 
Before I move on from this passage, I skimmed over one of the most profound statements if you actually want to think about what Jesus is telling his disciples. Okay, look at verse uh, 34 again. He's at the very end of it. He says, he says, love each other, but here's how, how he describes how to love each other. Just as I have loved you, then you love each other. There's our standard, guys. Pretty simple. The way that we're supposed to love each other, let's just love like Jesus loved us. Hmm. What is that? <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, his love went to great extents. This was a committed love. Like, are, could you actually say, I don't know if anybody else can say, I'm on this journey. I am, I am asking God as I was preparing this. Lord, start with me. I want to love when I look upon this room. I'll see Sam or I see, obviously, my wife or I see Stephen. I'm like, I want to love them like you love me. So committed, so loyal, willing to go low, willing to sacrifice. And if they hurt my feelings, I forgive them and I embrace them. I'm not going to pull away just because things get hard sometimes. I am committed to them forever. That's the expression or some forms of expression of the type of love that Jesus is talking about here. Of course, this love led him to the cross. And, and if you want to go another, another level, John 15, 9 tells us a little bit more how Jesus loved us. This is just too much. All right, 15, 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. And then he goes on to say, as I've loved you, so you love one another. So if you really want to know more about how Jesus, the standard Jesus is rising, he's saying, how much does the Father love Jesus? How much does, you know, one pastor says, how much does God love God? This beautiful Trinitarian fellowship that existed before the world began, that, that is a perfect love. It is beautiful. And then, you know, casually, Jesus is like, that's how I want you to love each other. Uh, the uncreated God loving God this that's that's the standard all right cool great standard thank you Lord <laughs> but you know here's what we you know what we settle for within the church is just like let's just try to keep the peace let's just try not to bicker let's just not let's try not to bring up the things that we might disagree on and, and if it comes up and we bicker and whatever then peace out so you I'm going down the street it's like very easy and the Lord's called us higher and I just, it's hard. It takes the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And I think, I love that. Like, if we're going to do this, we're not going to do it in our own ability. And remember, if you're brand new here, if you're visiting from out of town, think about this in the context of wherever your local church is, your local community is. All right, last but not least, man, go ahead and come on up. We can know what Jesus wanted by what he prayed. So John 17, again, it'll be on the screen, but you, if you want to turn there, you can, but I just want to take you into the context here because I don't want you to miss the significance of this prayer. Many of us have heard this before in John 17. But this is like the night before Jesus is about to be crucified. This is like the, 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 like this is the climax of the heart of Jesus. And we get a window into how does Jesus talk to the Father. I think this is one of few examples in Scripture about Jesus talking to the Father. And we see something that is just a burden on Jesus' heart. And in verse 11, he, you know, he said a lot of things in John 17. This whole thing is a recording of a prayer that he prays, like his last recorded prayer. And he says this in verse 11 of John 17. He says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one. Everybody say one. Even as we are one. His prayer is a oneness 
that he equates to the oneness of him and the Father. A couple verses later, he's praying a similar prayer in verse 20. It says, I don't ask for these only, not just the disciples, but for those who will believe me through their word 2,000 years later in northwest Arkansas. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And verse 23 says it in a similar way. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. And again, guys, this not only does it matter so much to Jesus, but the ramifications, the implications of us living this out have a great effect on the world. He said that our oneness, our unity, our love for each other, our depth of loyal relationships with one another will be a testimony to the world that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And guys, the world is looking for something different. When they look at relationships in the earth, what we see, we see division. They see hatred, strife, brokenness, fragmentation, offense, separation. And when they look into the church, guys, Let's believe, you believe with me, that they will see something different. Right now, I'm not too convinced. <laughs> you peel back the curtain on every local church body, are we seeing the same types of things? Are we seeing something different? And like I said, this is a supernatural work of God, but if I'm willing to lean in, and I'm inviting you to lean in with me, let's believe that we're going to start to love the way that Jesus wanted us to love. And I'm just, I'm committing to you guys. I've said this in a few smaller circles, like our staff and a few other circles, but it's like, by his grace, I'm committing to you guys. I'm not going anywhere. I've got your back. I'm committed to you. And I just, man, let's, my desperate prayer, I was praying this morning as I was preparing for this is, Lord, start with us. You got to start somewhere. No, even though it's going to be small and it's going to be weak, start with me. Lord, I want to love this church body, I want to love you. Even those of you that I don't know very well, I want to grow in and lean into this love that Jesus is talking about here that is supernatural, and it's more than a casual, shallow love. Next week, I'm going to talk about some of the, more of the obstacles to really living and embracing this way, this communal, loyal, committed way. I'll talk some more about that next week. But let's respond to God right now. If you got a journal, go ahead and keep that open or pull it out, or you can pull up your notes app on your phone. We always like to close out with a time of intentionally talking to God about what we just addressed this morning. So there'll be some re reflection questions on the screen. And like I said earlier, you know, it's a little bit exposing. It's just the reality that I know that, you know, there's a lot of you in this room that do go to go to life group and you're having a relationship outside of a Sunday morning. There's a lot of you that don't do that, at least yet. So I know it's exposing in a sense of where you're at now, but I just want you to go there with the Lord, especially that question number two. You know, if the answer to that is yes, then what, if, then what, does, that, what does that mean? What does that imply with how we can love each other the way Jesus intended? If the answer to that is no, then start thinking about, okay, Lord, where have you called me? Where do you want me to plug in? Where do you want me to go all, quote, unquote, all in with? So, Lord, I just pray right now you speak to every one of us. Help us process this with you and be honest and be real. And, Lord, have your way in this time. So take a second and just respond to the Lord, and then we'll offer to pray for each other.